Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And today I have two special guests with me. Uh, I'm very excited about doing this, this podcast uh, recording. Uh, Dr. Rich Parker is a friend of mine for many years, and I credit him for helping me get into the world of forensic psychology by introducing me to Tom Gutile at the program in Psychiatry and the Law. And uh, my guests participated in a session over Zoom for this esteemed think tank of forensic psychiatrists and psychologists. Um, Dr. Rich Parker is an internist with 35 years of experience. He's served as the chief medical officer of the Beth Israel Deaconess Physician Organization, and most recently, the chief medical officer for Arcadia, a healthcare data and analytics company. Dr. Parker currently cares for patients part-time at the Care Dimensions Hospice in Lincoln, Massachusetts. And Rich's family has worked for four decades to help our other guest, Ramadan Shabazz, gain his freedom from imprisonment via a governor's commutation after serving 51 years in prison. And Ramadan, it's a joy and an honor to get to know you and to hear the story of, of Rich's families. I know mm. I think Rich, it's your wife's mom started it. Share a bit of the story for our listeners. Set the table for the story, and then we want to hear more from Ramadan about life inside. And you've been released a few months ago in 2023, and mm -hmm. life, like learning how to deal with the outside mess that's out here. Uh, Rich, can you... Where, we, where would you like to begin, Steve? I would like you to start basically with your mother-in-law maybe uh in terms of the the how you came to know ramadan and sure. got interested in in committing so much time energy and now you are his host he's staying at your house in his first months of freedom as he's getting his land legs if you will uh to get oriented so sure. the story goes back to 1983 uh, when my mother-in-law, may she rest in peace, Marjorie Stryker, uh, who was a teacher by profession, but she volunteered in the prison system uh, through a program, a Quaker program called Alternatives to Violence. And in that year, she met Ramadan, and I'll let him tell the story about their meeting and how they got started. But Marjorie uh, was a very dedicated volunteer who uh, thought that prisoners could do better, deserve better, um, and she assisted many prisoners um, become more full human beings. So that's how we got started. And then just to fast forward, um, after my mother-in-law passed, our family, uh, my wife Chrissy and our four children all picked up the correspondence with Ramadan. He's an excellent writer. So we had letters going back and forth pretty much every week. Mm. Um, we all visited him in prison. Um, so that was the first experience for me. Uh, I had never been in prison before, uh, before visiting Ramadan. So that was a learning experience for me and all of us. But I'll just pause right there since that's how we got started. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Ramadan, why don't, you, why don't you pick up the story from your point of view? Why don't you go back, 
Ramadan to tell us who you were before you uh, you found yourself um, imprisoned. Well, uh, like all good Americans, uh, I graduated high school in 1968. Uh, I had a good family, mother, father. I had seven siblings beside myself, eight all total. Uh, we grew up in uh, Roxbury, Dorchester, part of the Boston. And uh, like I said, I graduated from JP in 1968. Uh, my family came from the South in 1960 here and uh, finished my schooling here. Uh, after graduation, I was working for the Boston Gas Company on McBride Street. For those out, out there who may remember the old McBride Street where gas company, Boston Gas Company was located. And uh, at that time, uh, Boston Gas Company was searching for particular students who graduated to work for their company. And I was chosen. I'm glad I was. Moving ahead, uh, I was out of high school 15 months. The next thing you know, Uncle Sam knocked on the door. He says, come in, young man. We're taking you back. Back to where? Back to the United States Army. That's where I landed. Well, you were drafted. Let's cut to the yeah. chase. You didn't, you know, this was not a voluntary thing. Yeah, it was, well, not that time. It was just totally drafted. Just come right. on in mean, without that. So today they have the draft. I mean, they have the just volunteers. Back right. then it was a draft. Take you off the street and there you go. So after my return, my I, I spent the month in Vietnam, and that month was crazy as hell. Was can I use that word? Of it's course, crazy, crazy, crazy. And uh, back then, in the early seventies, Vietnam was like the old Wild West. Everybody carried big guns, and they used them. So that attitude, drugs, uh, uh, failing to uh, follow the commands. Every young man over there at the time, nineteen and twenty-two years old, was all young kids. And uh, what do young kids do? Science tell you, brains are not fully developed today. So that's how he was acting, just like that. You yeah, know, but no my one, my recollection yeah. of your story is on the bus ride after landing in Vietnam, someone was yeah. sniped and killed yeah. um, on your bus. So we're talking um, heavy trauma. Yeah, happening. That's unfortunate. You know, the uh, uh, the first, the very first morning we landed, it was around two in the morning. It was, the, the the doors opened up. And the sergeant comes on screaming and yelling, hurry up, get off the plane, get off the plane. There's 300 of us on the plane. Get off the plane, get off the plane. Wait, 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 wait. The VC got the guns pointed on this airport, and they know you just landed. They know you guys are recruits, so get the hell off the plane. So, you know, of course, a young kid hearing it for the first time, I know I'm in a war zone, so what do you do? You got to respond to that. So my the fear on everybody. Fear is how I would respond. Yeah, fear. So you know, so I get to the door ready to come down the ramp. The first thing I smell is my first smell of Vietnam was human shit, and I'm putting it like is because that's just what it was. Mm. It smelled like shit. The whole country. What do you do with it when you got a half a million people or more? Every day you burn it. Mm. So it was burning all day, all night. So that's what happened. So now fast forward. I, of course, I get involved with drugs because that was going on. That was a popular thing to do back then. Heroin, LSD, marijuana, everyone was using, drinking, so on like that. And as I got discharged from the service, uh, I came home looking for help. And uh, at the time, the VA didn't have know anything about post-traumatic stress disorder until 1980. So I went to the VA and JP asking for help. Hey, look, I'm not myself. Uh, I can't work. I don't know what's going on with me. You know, and uh, can you help me? And, uh, and uh, doctors, I met two doctors. They said, well, we know there's something wrong with you if you're not dressed, but we don't know what it is. Mm. So I just turned around and walked out of the office because you couldn't help me. So you're telling me you can't help me, so I'm leaving. So fast forward again, my reactions to that, I guess I acted out. And I'm sorry I committed the crime in which I committed. 
but uh, two men lost their lives. May I say their names? Give them the respect. Of course, but you you were you were traumatized. You had drug, you know, yeah. addiction issues. You weren't yeah. getting help, and then you were involved with a crime, a yeah. robbery, yeah. I believe. Yeah, robbery. Yeah, robbery. Uh, uh, felony murder, and two men lost their lives. And I was originally sentenced to death on Old Walpole in uh, 1972, March of 1972, and uh, that's where my journey began. Mm. Uh, while I was there, I met a lot of old gentlemen who already had served 15, 20 years already. And they sit me down because I was, I listened. And they talked to me about how you do this time, kid. You're in forever. You don't know when you're getting out. You can't carry yourself like a retired. You got to know what you're doing because if not, someone will kill you. And at that time in Walpole, a lot of that was going on for those who know in the age bracket, know how Walpole was at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, Getting in, uh, attuned to a prison, setting my mind to that, uh, I met two uh, a principal and some college professors who saw me one day walking around the Kuala Norfolk prison and to say, call me to the office, educational office, hey, look, young man, uh, you can get education here while you're here. So, you know, Boston University, I said, sure, why not? University of Massachusetts, so I got involved with that. And in 1980, I graduated with a bachelor's degree. And... Uh, from that point on, uh, the DOC at that time was very lenient. Men was getting furloughs, being in minimums. I got into my minimum move in 1983. I'm sitting in the room waiting for this. My best friend, Professor Marsh Riker, God bless her soul. She came in with a program, and uh, she's talking, trying to explain what the program is going to be consistent of. I'm in a side corner bar talking to some guys about football. It was football season. And I was saying, hey, look, I... You should have took that bet, not knowing what she was talking about. She took this bet. That took 20, I won $25 on this game. So she said, excuse me, excuse me. So I looked. I said, oh, yes. She said, what's your name? I said, Ramadan. Ramadan? Yes. Ramadan. Okay. All right. So she moved out to talking. Now I'm, I'm cool. Now I'm, I can't say anything. I haven't, she didn't call me. So she says, uh, Ramadan, could you do me a favor? Sure. Yes. Trying to even up now, you know. She said, could you come sit by me? Oh, no, I'm all set. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So a lot of guys in the room, they said, hey, man, go ahead. She's an old lady. What can she do to you? I said, all right. So I came on down and set aside. There was three seats. She had one, one in the open, and I said the one that wasn't open. So she looked back at me again, right? Hey, I want you sitting right here next to me. I said, well, it's okay. Well, I'm right here. You know, I'm right here. You know, I'm right here. Arm distance. She said, I want you at this seat right here. So me being who I am, I got in the seat. And she continued talking. And as she was talking, explaining what was going on for the night, and she said, we'll start with looking around the room. I'm saying, gee, I hope this lady don't pick me. Shabazz, since you have so much to say, open up, open up, this, open up the, the, the topic tonight. Because since you was talking, you have a topic. What is it? And I, 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 I have no idea. So she said, when I'm talking, listen to me. So from that point on, I was a nice little kid. <laughs> And this was Rich's mom, mother-in-law, yes, right? Yes. So, so, wow. So, it's a lot. A lot to talk about. And as you may know from talking with me previously, I study brainwashing and mind control, and I have this model of behavior control and information and thought and emotional control. And you know, we enter society as other civilized societies um, 
structure their system. So part of my hope and my agenda is not only to bring awareness to this and the fact of that really was a miracle that you progressed, became the best person you could be and you were a model prisoner. And with Rich's help and his effort and the network and your wonderful lawyer, uh, was it Mia Teitelbaum? That you yes. pulled this off and that you're free. And, uh, and so I want to raise people's consciousness around this whole topic. And I also would like people to hear your story, understand some of the, the challenges you've been facing since you've gotten out. And if they feel generous, maybe help to contribute to help you get a new start uh, in your life. Yeah. So that's my motivation to, to, to tell this story. And who knows, maybe a book deal and a movie deal might, might come out of this. So I just wanted to come back to the, the, my motivation in doing this, this topic. Uh, and you, for me, are a model of inspiration that... Um, you know, being sentenced to life in prison, not to mention the, the, the death penalty that you, you know, Massachusetts abolished that, but the, the, the fact that you are who you are and maybe, you know, we can make some really positive changes. So with that, I want to, I want to come back to you, Rich, if I may, and, Talk. I mean, you you met Ramadan. You went. What an exceptional person! I wanna I wanna continue to do what I can. Talk about about you know a bit more of the challenges, the journeys, I the the the, the efforts to to um, get the system to listen and and to cooperate. Sure, and the history for those who have lived in Massachusetts for a long time is after the Willie Horton ad on TV and the Dukakis presidential campaign came out, um, the prison system felt that it down on giving prisoners uh, more freedom to go out on furloughs, for example. And um, we, I'm going to interrupt for one second for our listeners who don't know Massachusetts and Willie Horton. It was the case of someone who was allowed on a furlough and then committed a crime that Correct. then shut down the opportunities for other people to Correct. give. And give so it. that is background. I think it made it even more challenging for prisoners to feel hopeful and to maintain that hope and therefore do the work that they would need to do in order to better themselves and prepare themselves to be outside of prison. And I think what you know, we Ramadan and I have a very special, wonderful friendship now, but that's because we've been working together for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, but when I first met him, I thought, okay, who is this guy? And what is he up to? And I quickly realized that here's a guy who, even though he's been told you're never getting out of here, he did not give up hope and he continued to work in every way possible, including caring for other prisoners with mental illness, which is a topic near and dear to my heart because I, I feel that mentally ill people are not well understood in our mm -hmm. society and they need a lot of help and they need a lot of, of compassion. And I saw that he had that for mentally ill prisoners and that, that touched me. Um, and then I want to add that you are involved with NAMI, which is a very yeah. important organization that you can Yes, like I volunteer 
I volunteer for NAMI as a family support group facilitator, and I'm on the Cambridge Middlesex NAMI board. Mm -hmm. um, but my point is that I saw in Ramadan the ability to work, no matter how long the odds, he was going to work at it and not give up. And it was that attitude that I found very motivating. And frankly, that his attitude motivated me to say, okay, since I am on the outside and I am a privileged guy, I'm going to see what I can do to help him get out, which in part meant um, hiring different attorneys. Um, you mentioned Mia Teitelbaum. She's our current attorney who has done a magnificent job um, with Ramadan, helping him through the commutation process. And I also really need to publicly thank Charlie Baker, our prior governor, um, who was willing to start the commutation process, um, which heretofore hadn't been done for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And and uh, so, and Ramadan, I'd like to just come back to your faith, because in when we talked at the forensic think tank, you talked about how this was a major motivator uh, for you to continue to have that willpower, that faith, that determination to do to do good. Well, uh, as I said before, I'm a Muslim. I believe staunchly in one God, and I and I try and practice that all throughout my life, more so behind the walls because that's what gave me the strength each day to get out of bed and go for another day, not, still knowing that I'm not going to probably not get out of prison. Mm. So having being a Muslim and working hard towards that gave me the inspiration to help even more people who was worse off than I was. And mm -hmm. you say, well, all prisoners are the same. Well, we, we're not. You have some prisoners who are a little sharper than others, some, some are not. And I was blessed to be involved with a companion program that helped at Bridgewater State Hospital that helped the mentally ill people. Mm -hmm. And I also worked at Worcester State Hospital Back in the 80s, when we were out, when I was out on trolls before the Horton incident happened. So I had about eight to, eight to 12 years of working with mental, in the mental health fields. So I have experience with that greatly. And, and during my experiences at Worcester State Hospital, I work with male and female senior citizens as well. And I seen that I thought I was bad, you know, but then I started listening to some of their stories. And, and that made me even fight even harder for myself because they're giving me the strength to go another day. And uh, that day that I come in, I try and give it back to them, they give it back to me. So it, it worked, because mm -hmm. I'm free now. Right. But uh, I'm just thankful that uh, I had the opportunity to be in those places to do the things right. I did to do who I am today. So another part of your story related to your uh, conversion to Islam is that you did a name change, which meant your birth certificate didn't match your name and share some of the the the, the challenge of like as, assuming your identity, getting a driver's license, getting a bank account. Share share some of that uh, well, of, of things that most of us never think twice about. We just assume, yeah. of course, you get a you know get I, stuff. I assumed too before they opened the doors for me to March 13th that everything could be working out. So when I come out, the first thing I need, I heard the word mass ID. Well, all I have is this picture of my incarceration where I just got released the day before with, you know, on cardboard. And that's, they said, that's not an ID. I said, it is, has everything that's needed. Right. That's not it. You need, a, you need a real ID. So from that point on, I was in trouble. Mm. And that was four months ago. 
I still have not received an ID, mass ID. So, Rich, talk about what you know, what you've been going through, and how ridiculous this is. So, I learned a lot about this company, Vital Checks, that is the intermediary for supplying birth certificates around the country. In straightforward cases, it works fine. You pay the money, they send you the birth certificate. But in Ramadan's case, because he legally changed his name, I believe in 1979, because he changed his name, his current name, Ramadan Shabazz, is not on his birth certificate. His birth name is James Hall. So that little technicality has created months of pain and chagrin as we tried to follow the rules time after time after time. And we even got our state representative, this was actually your suggestion, Steve, which was excellent, Representative Jake Auchincloss, who kindly wrote a personal letter for Ramadan to release his birth certificate. And his chief of staff went twice to the Office of Vital Records in Washington, D.C., and that did not suffice. So we are now on our third attorney who has worked with local Norfolk probate district court where his birth certificate actually sits because it was brought up here at the time of the name change. And knock on wood, fingers crossed, I think today we just received word that the registry will release an ID for him. So stay tuned, folks, and we hope even by tomorrow we're going to have it in our hot little hand. Yeah, Great. Yeah. But then is, that means he can open a bank account in his name. Talk about Talk about some of the challenges that, that, you know, an understanding, like Ramadan, you were saying, I don't know how to use a phone. Like, oh man, it was on do not disturb. And it's like, I'm not getting any calls. And it's like, yes, flip this switch. It's like, because you didn't have smartphones in the 70s or 80s, right? The 90s and 2000s. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it was, that was one of the biggest things. My challenges is right now is the phone. Never mind the computer, just the phone, just being able to work with that. Uh, I, I look at it this way. As long as I can contact my parole officer and contact my family, I'm all set. Mm-hmm. All the other stuff is peripheral. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of places I, I go to for various meetings I have at the VA now, uh, I say, well, I'd rather come in instead of go over the phone. I, I mean, I'd rather meet, meet people face-to-face because that's the way I was brought up. That's the way that's in my heart, in my mind. People like to see each other's expressions. You may have more to ask at that particular time than on a, than on a Zoom or whatever like that. So I, I feel comfortable doing that. But however, I'm learning the, the science. I'm learning the techniques slowly but surely. It's difficult. So it, all I can say is this. There'll be a lot more people coming out like myself. Yeah, step by step. And I, I'll just add that Leslie Van Houten, who I've written letters for over the decades, she was in the Manson cult. And, and unfortunately committed murders, uh, just got paroled from California. Um, so for me, um, I'm thrilled for her. But right. um, coming back to, to life at the Parker house, you know, Rich and his wife have opened up their house to you. Um, talk about what you need and what your plans are. I think you want to, you know, get an apartment, get a job. Uh, talk about some of the, the, the plans that you are well, working on. Some of the things, but first and foremost, get the ID. Right. Once I have the ID, then I can start moving around, trying to find a job. 
I have some job opportunities available. And like I say, I need the ID to check in. Right. One particular job I have, I pass out food to senior citizens that's in JP, Jamaica Fame Project. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do that Tuesdays and Wednesdays afternoon. And uh, I enjoy doing it. I want to work with something like that. Mm -hmm. I also want to be involved with the mentally ill field of life as well, because I, I think my energy, as far as I'm concerned, would be beneficial for the people I may be working with. And uh, the second thing is I work with uh, juveniles as well. I go to a program on uh, Thursday after Thursdays afternoon at Charlestown, uh, uh, Charlestown uh, Reentry Program. A lot of young men coming out, and women as well, coming out, and I'm there. They see my picture. They remember my picture. They remember my face. So we start a conversation, and I try and let them know, even though I've only been out four months, but this is the technology. This is the technology. These are the problems I'm having. You know, you got to deal with it. And, and they tend to listen. And that's all I want, just listen. Yeah, well, I, I do want to say your picture was on the Boston Globe front page yes. more than a few times. It was really quite an inspiring story for everyone who read it. And so, you know, when you say people recognize you, <laughs> it, ho ho hopefully yeah. they will, you know, uh, more and more. Yes. yes. Steve, I wanted to add that I think a really important part of Ramdan's story is his relationship with his partner, and they've been together for many, many decades. And I think it would be important for folks to hear a little bit about how the two of you have stayed together all these years and what your plans are, and that she actually lives with us here too. Oh, so, she moved yeah. up from yeah. Florida, or she was somewhere. Uh huh. Yeah, but she she was in Florida. She's with she's planning. We're planning on moving up here anyway, bringing her up here. Uh, hopefully we can get married as soon as I get this ID squared away situation. Then moving out as usual as well, you know. So it's everything time, and she's been with me the whole entire time I've been incarcerated. Mm. You know, we have ups and downs, but that's life. Everyone has ups and downs. But I, I can say she's God sent. Uh, I'm a happy camper. You know, I do everything I can for her as well. as She can do everything for me. So mm. and the Parkers, they just—it's just one big family, man. You know, we—it's just wonderful that people who took it upon themselves to accept me and my partner into their home on a daily basis. And, and we're, we're part of the family. I mean, yeah. this family is just a great, great feeling that people uh, today can, can uh, allow themselves to open up their hearts and their homes for people like me. And I truly, truly am blessed and thankful for this. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful role model too, for, for everyone to think about, Yes, it's a, it's time, it's energy, it's it's financial, it's sharing your space, but the the learning, the 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 joy, the fulfillment, the the mattering that I think Rich you and your family uh can feel like you've really really done something wonderful mm -hmm. and magnificent. And I'll never forget when I first met you Ramadan, we went to Newton um uh, center and what, went to an Indian restaurant. I think it was your first Indian food in decades. And you were just like a little boy, just like, oh, the, this buffet, I'm going to go get some more. It's really yummy. <laughs> it's really great. And, yeah. and then you showed me a video of the first time you saw the ocean in 50 yeah. plus years yeah. And the joy in your face, it was just, it touched me so deeply in my heart because um, I could kind of feel your joy. 
because we take things for granted yeah. like all yeah. the time and we don't realize that life's a gift and just being alive is is an off, awesome opportunity well uh, i may add with the trip to crane's beach the first time dr parker called him rich took me and said we're going to crane beach so i get in the car we, he's driving up i'm saying to myself wow it's a long place to get to the beach because uh, i've been growing up with just around the corner so to speak so we're driving along he was asking me questions i'm talking so we get up there and i'm, I'm start smelling the ocean for the first time i'm smelling the ocean the atlantic ocean the salt as we walking up to the beach and I'm looking at, wow, as soon as I get to the top where you look out to the ocean, I'm standing myself, this is the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. And it was a windy day that day. Very, very windy. I, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the cold. I feel like I was just floating along the whole the whole walkway, you know, yeah. floating. And the, the, the joy of being that and at that moment in time for me was uh, uplifting yeah. and spiritual. Because I'm walking with my best friend, and he's taking a picture of me looking at the ocean for the first time in 50-something years. So, whew. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just don't know. <laughs> it's marvelous. It's really wonderful. So can you say some more about your plans? So you're going to get... You're going to get your ID. You're going to get a bank account. You'll learn how to drive. You're going to get employment. Hopefully, yeah. you'll make some money, put some money yeah. in the bank, get an apartment. Yeah. What other things are are in your your bucket list of things you want well, to? I, I like to I like to take a a boat ride, a cruise, but I can't leave the state right now. However, right. I, I have to be within the state, and one of my friends are offering to take me and my partner Elaine to the boat ride. I think this Sunday somewhere around oh. the city of Boston. So you know that that'll be a wonderful sight for for me anyway. Yeah, yeah everyone on the boat has done it, but me. So it'd be my first time. I'd be like. Been in the Indian buffet again. Wow, I eat all this. I can eat. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm just waiting for Sunday to come around. I hope it's a great day. Sun's not, the, the, it's, it's raining. It's not raining, I'm sure I say. And it's not pouring down. So I'm just waiting, waiting and waiting. So hopefully Sunday will be a great day. And I'll probably let you know how I went. Yeah, it's awesome. So have you been to a movie theater yet? Yeah, uh, my wife wanted to see uh, uh, a, a, a movie where a famous African-American violinist for his time period in France. I can't think of the movie now, but he's uh, he played with the, uh, I guess, uh, 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 Beethoven and all those guys. Was it Tar? Was it the movie Tar? No, it wasn't nope. named Tar, no. It's just, it was a great, great movie. The first time I've been there, the surround sound, the big movie screen, you know, I just, wow. It just, the music went all through me, the, the sound went all through me. I also went to a ballet, and I went to that. And uh, I went to the Alvin Haley's dance, Valley also. Oh, I well, love Alvin Haley. Wow, they're yeah. great. We, we even went to a, a dance session before they went to the, the, the ballet. We were, all of us, my partner, Rich, Chrissy, we all went there. We just gone along, floating along. And just Hey, it was just outstanding for me. I was like a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was like a kid. Yeah, and <laughs> have you heard Rich play violin in his symphony? Uh, yes. He's Multi-talented physician. <laughs> <laughs> Every day he plays here, right? He's warming up, but he has he invited me to a, a Harvard, I mean MIT concert, concert yeah. and uh, at MIT, and uh, it was great. He played wonderfully. The yeah. whole orchestra played outstanding. You know, I really enjoyed that. Up front seats, close, and the sound, the music it was going through me. I, I just felt good that I could be in a place like that, coming from a place where I just came from. You know, so it was 
exciting. Everything I do now is new, and uh, it's going to continue being new until I get used to it. Yeah. And I don't get used to it because everything's going to be new. Yeah, it's great. So question, um, I, I assume you still have uh, family members who are alive? Have you reconnected with anybody? Um, Slow, slowly but surely, now, Steve. Slowly but surely, I'm coming in contact with them. You know, as, as time goes on, they're all adults now. They have their children, and their children have children. So, you know, they'll have their own lives and things like that. So mm -hmm. I try not to come into their lives because I've been out their lives for 50 years. Right. You know, so, But uh, I don't want to come in forcefully. I'm big brother. Listen to me. And I don't want to do that because they've been doing without me for all this long. So I don't want to step on anyone's toes. So well, I respect I, I'd um, love to be part of sponsoring or co-sponsoring a party get-together mm -hmm. somewhere. Mm. And invite whoever you want to invite, and uh, have a environment where it's non non pressure. Just like have some food, have some music, and you know, step by step, little little things would be really awesome. So, um, have you started journaling yet, or dictating? Because I really want to encourage you to write a book. Yeah, well, I'm I'm keeping tabs of the very little things that are, that are stands out in my mind, you know, like this ID situation, the time we met at the Indian bar buffet, and now and the last time we had a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of things I be doing about that's you know, that's important to me, right. like the, the ballet, Rich Planners Orchestra, you know, things that I've never done before, walking Crane Beach, all those things, you know, people I've met as well throughout my journey so far. And uh, the people I come in contact with, it's just one big, happy, as well as I'm concerned, family, everyone's trying to surround around me to, to help me get myself together and stay on my feet and stay focused on myself and the people around me, you know? So uh, I need that because I'm in a new environment as I'm concerned. This right. is new to me. And I need all the help I can get to mm -hmm. keep me grounded. Not that I'm going to go out and do anything stupid. I did that already. I'm all set. I'm an old man now. I'm pushing 74. And uh, I'm, I'm moving forward, not backwards. Right. So that's what it's all about to me, moving forward, not backwards. So so I'm curious, um, what are you interested in learning? I mean, you've talked about liking to do help people with mental uh, health challenges, uh, elderly people. Um, do you have any things that really turn you on like i love social psychology i love learning you know techniques to help people get better is anything uh you know kind of stimulating you to say i want to i want to know more about that well one thing that i i, I enjoy doing just sunday me and, me and my partner we went down to boston got boston commons and just sitting around looking at all the people the different nationalities, the different languages. Before, it was just English. Now, there's a wide range of uh, languages out here that I've never heard before, mm -hmm. people I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. So all that, to me, is new. And just sitting there, listening to people. I, I speak. I have my Vietnam veterans hat on. You know, they say, thank you for your service. I'm proud to do that. And I let them know that I wear this hat not only for myself, but for my comrades, brothers, right. men and women who didn't return home. So I wear the hat in their now in their in their honor because they didn't make it. Yeah. They didn't come home. They're like they took us, and like I say, a lot of them didn't make it. Fifty nine thousand plus didn't come back home. So yeah, I wear it for that. But all in all, 
being outside with people every day is 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 my goal right now. Until until I get tired of doing that, but I don't think I will because there's so many interesting and fascinating people in this country yes. that I never knew. This country, well, put it this way: when I was a kid growing in, in um, elementary school and junior high school, the, the teacher talked about a melting pot. Mm. Well, we are living in it today. I am anyway. It's I'm surely a melting pot, mm. and it's exciting to me because I I didn't I didn't come with that as the years progressed with everyone else. I'm coming out to it now. So it's like new. So that's what I want to, you know, get into doing. Meet, meeting the people, just listen to what they have to say, appreciating conversation and things like that. So, Okay, now I have a challenging question for you both. So if you had the President of the United States ear, and, and what would you say needs to be done to reform our criminal mm you know, justice system. Well, let me take a crack at that. So Please. first of all, yeah. So, you know, one of the things Ramadan mentioned earlier, but we didn't really get into it, was his remorse about the loss of the two men who were killed, Mr. Thorne and Mr. Jeffries. And in the three times that I testified on Ramadan's behalf, I always started by saying, we need to remember the two men whose lives were lost right. because their families suffered more than anybody suffered. Right. And having said that, I think that Ramadan is testament to the concept that your life is not reflected in one day where you did one terrible thing in one day. Hmm. And he did do a terrible thing on that one day, but he has told me so many times how remorseful he is for that and all those circumstances and takes responsibility for it. I think it's very important for people to understand out there that people who've committed crimes, they have to take responsibility. They have to pay the price. However, the price shouldn't be forever. Mm. And it's only the United States that incarcerates people. Well, maybe there are a couple exceptions, like maybe Afghanistan and China and Russia. But Western countries, Australia, do not incarcerate people for life if the prisoner becomes a full human being again. And so what I would say to President Biden is don't throw away the lives of people who've been locked up because they committed a crime. Give them an opportunity for redemption, for recovery, for becoming a full human being and becoming a contributor to society. And let's give people the tools to do that. And that is what I would ask of our Massachusetts legislators and, and, the, and, the, and the Department of Correction is, let's work harder to help people become good citizens so that they can get out of prison, not at the cost of the taxpayer, but become contributors again in our society where a lot of people from prison actually have a lot to contribute. Mm, nice. Ramadan, your turn. Well, uh, I'll take you back from history so you can understand why I say what I say today. Back in the days in the 70s and 80s, the DOC allowed us to have applications. Applications mean make your own money, help support your family, make, you know, wood business, uh, uh, leather businesses, making handbags, pillow business, making pillows, and we could sell it to the public. So these things we were selling and our family get reap the benefit of it. You know, us making money and sending it home to the family and kids and things like that, helping the wives out. And all of a sudden, someone comes with the idea, stop it, stop the program. 
Mm. So now the state is got to take up what we was trying to help our families do, support them. Now the state got to take more money from the public state. We need to give more money to these people here. But on the other side of that, when I was in minimum, I worked at Worcester State Hospital, as I mentioned. They took that away when Willie Harden came down because, again, he was making money if you're helping your family out. You're trying sure. to help. You're trying to help society. And, like, I'd rather be working on the outside than being on the inside and not contributing to society. Right. I'm just costing more money having me sit around doing it, nothing when I could be outside every day in the community. If I have a bracelet on, fine. If I'm, if I'm let me walk around free, if it's up to me to return, then so that's fine too. But just sitting in the prison, just waiting, it's just, it's just, you know, people I know along the way gave up and they're not here now. Yeah. You know, but I had to keep the faith. I had to keep, I had family, friends that keep pushing me and that helped me push myself even more. Yeah. So I, I would tell the President of the United States, so open up the doors, give people a chance. If someone does make, make a mistake, for the second time, then they have to suffer the punishment. I mean, come on, you got a shot, you got an opportunity, don't blow it. Right. This is it. You was doing you was doing life, now you're doing in the community now. Don't blow it again. So give us that one shot, one opportunity. And right. I think one shot for everyone to be it's up to them. It's up to them to make the decision what they want to do after that. Right. So I'd like to add that I think it was a huge mistake to privatize the prison system and incentivize lawyers and judges and states to incarcerate people for things like having a joint even. Um, and instead of the government running it as, okay, we need to have a system of you know, checks and balances of people are violating the social good if they're dangerous, you know, we have to protect the public. But on the other hand, where it's much more of a consciousness of this is a human being and mm -hmm. they should have dignity and, and they deserve opportunities to be educated. And as you were saying so articulately, uh, to give back to get back to, to stay in touch with their families, to help their families financially and such. Um, and I guess I just, um, I, I, I had, I, I I'm thinking, Rich, when you said it was my first time in prison, visiting a prison. And I had a, my first experience a number of years ago, uh, actually um, a podcast host named Jordan Harbinger uh, decided he would celebrate his 40th birthday at a Max California prison and, and, and invited guests and people who were his followers uh, to a program called, I think it was called Hustle 2.0. And um, it sounds similar, Rich, to your mother-in-law where universities were bringing people in and helping give college educations and even master's degrees and and teaching and and we were like assigned different roles like teaching inmates how to do a job interview mm. uh and 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 to help them identify skills that they have but they may not think is something they could actually parlay into a business when yeah. they get out and to create mentorship outside the prison so that people have a path to exit. And I met people who were said, 
like I was in solitary for 15 years and I'm like solitary for 15 mm. years. Are you kidding me? And mm. like, no, it was really, and yeah. I can't imagine, I can't imagine surviving in solitary. Like it's it, in my opinion, it's cruel and unusual punishment because <laughs> yes, humans is. are social beings. It is, it anyway, is. it was life-changing birthday party to celebrate him. But I, I like that he did it to give to others and, and provided an opportunity to both the prisoners and us privileged, you know, people on the outside. And a number of the people, like you said, Rich, you know, they had one bad day and, um, and they're still paying a price and, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's such a, a shame. So I guess, you know, I don't have any other questions other than I really want people to take to heart that there are real human beings that are loved and are cared for and who deserve a chance and that we can really make an effort, especially if people are retired, maybe they have a heart to to volunteer and, 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 and go into the prison system and start teaching um, and to, uh, or to donate money to uh, get books in there and to, 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 to share and teach skills um, and things like that. And um, Ramadan, do you have a GoFundMe page? Am I misremembering yes. that there's a GoFundMe? Yes, it still should be there, yes. So, um, so we're going to do a blog with that accompanies this video and we'll put the link in there if people want to be in touch with you and right. such. And, uh, I just, as we're wrapping up, I, Rich, you want to say some last words and then Ramadan, you get the last, the last word for this. I would just like to thank you, Steve, for, uh, reaching out to us and giving us the opportunity to tell our story, which I think is worth telling. I mean, here we have a privileged white Jewish guy and we have a black Muslim man and we're very good friends. And I think that in and of itself is, is good. Um, we, we, in, we take pleasure in that and uh, we feel that we've accomplished a lot and we're gonna accomplish more in the future. So thank you, Steve, for the opportunity. And my honor. I would, yeah, I would like to end this uh, letting the outside world know that I'm truly sorry for what I've done mm. to Mr. Calvin Thorne and Mr. Jeffries. I, I have to give give them to their family and their respect to them that I did something to their families that can never be taken back. Mm. And I'm truly, truly sorry for that. Mm. And I want the public to know my heart is still with their families, Mr. Thorne families and Mr. Jeffries family mm. for the wrong, the trouble, and the pain that I put upon them. Mm. I'm truly sorry. I'd like to end with that to give them their respect. Thank you so much, and uh, let's have lunch soon again. Okay. Indian buffet. Yeah, yeah. That'd be nice. sounds good. Thank you so thank much, you. guys, and and peace. And um, thank you for being you, both of you. Hey, and thanks for being you. We see you around, yeah. here, Steve. Have the best day, you and your family. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. 
theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at igotout.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.